We are walking through this series we're calling I Am because it has to do with the two words Jesus began, eight statements about who he was, how he saw himself. They were statements that were meant to illuminate his nature, his character. They were meant to give insight to his audience about who he was. See, everyone had an opinion about Jesus. Everyone sought to define him in, his, in their own terms, and yet Jesus didn't allow them to be his source of definition. He proactively stepped out and decided to define for himself, for everyone to understand who he was. And each statement, each statement he made was um, one of radical consequence. In fact, it was not a statement that his audience could simply hear and walk away with without feeling compelled to wrestle without feeling drawn to the point of considering the implications of what he was saying, because each statement had far-reaching ripple effects. They had the ability to transform every other aspect of life. Sometimes they were profound in nature. Sometimes they were simple in nature. This weekend, I'd like to suggest Jesus' statement had to do with something of a simple nature. And yet, what we're going to see here is that Jesus claims to be the most important door in our lives. That is his claim. We know, we know doors have access points on a physical nature. We know that they are somewhat of a portal between one place and another. We know that to cross that threshold means to be invited in or to have a key to go in. We know this, that they, they separate experiences. We know that to cross the door of a theater is to step into an experience. We know also what it means in, in a metaphorical sense when somebody says to us, here, you, you and me, there's an open door policy. Uh, we understand that. We also understand that there are certain relationships, certain conversations where the door is closed. It means no access, right? We also know, especially as we read people's biographies and hear people's stories, that people, as they progress, as lives are built, and perhaps they hit their potential, we know that there was a significant moment or several moments strung together in which in their lives, either by their own doing, because of their own skill, or talent, their resource or know-how, or perhaps a combination of that and somebody else deciding to do what? To open a door for them. We know that a life is not built without certain doors being available. And yet Jesus steps into this idea of a doorway and all that it provides, and he imports it, and he says, I am the most important door in your life. That, that is his claim. And this statement, it not just had tremendous promise, it also had some implications. It indicted a group of people Jesus chose to point out. In fact, if you open up your handout, we'll see in John 10, verse 1, how the, he steps into this together. And we're told in verse 1, which, by the way, each statement is found in the Gospel of John. It'd be worth our time to navigate the Gospel of John through the statements Jesus makes about himself. But we're told here in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, does, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus steps into this pastoral language and uses an image his audience would be very familiar with. They, they would not just be familiar with it because they themselves, some of them, would be, have been shepherds. 
But they would also be familiar with this imagery of a sheepfold, that is a group of sheep, and a shepherd. Because Israel's history is laced throughout the entire Old Testament in a way in which God says, you are my sheep, I am your shepherd. We know this. Uh, Psalm 23 begins rather famously, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus steps into this image and he says, listen, this, this idea is very real. If the person tries to go in in any other way except the door, let it be no mistake about it. Their interest is selfish. They are looking to steal and to take from the sheep. And then he continues. He says in verse 2, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus is describing the image of a shepherd leading his own sheep, and what he is saying is something that they, again, would be very familiar with. We may struggle to understand the context of what he is saying, because they would know, but we perhaps would be, it'd be beneficial to know that what he is speaking into is a reality in which a shepherd would take his sheepfold out in the midst, out and walking out in the midst of the pastoral land, in the midst of the valleys and the hill country, and they would be seeking sustenance for the sheep. And there would be moments where several of these shepherds throughout the ancient Near East, they would know locations where they could find safety because if perhaps the noonday sun were to erupt and there was no cloud in the sky, they needed shade. Or if it, draw, if it was towards the evening and they were too far away from their home, they would draw near to these places, these sheep pens. And these sheep pens would have already been constructed. It could either be a cave in which would be a, a wall would be built around it and a door would be installed. Or it could be the side of a mountain and another s- sort of fence would be built around it and a door would be installed. The, this would be, and they would be rather large so that several shepherds can bring their sheep. Many sheep would come together under one location. And if resource didn't allow for a door to be created, some shepherds would lie prostrate against the threshold. They would become the door. And so Jesus is describing something. He's saying, now we all know this. The shepherd is the one who walks through the doorway. And when he walks into the doorway and there are many sheepfold there, he starts calling his sheep by name. And he starts calling them by the nickname or the characteristics he knows about them. And they start responding. And he gives us this image of the sheep listening, just maybe grazing amongst themselves. They listen, their name being called out. And he says, but they recognize the shepherd's voice. And so they start gravitating towards the shepherd. And slowly but surely, the shepherd ends up gathering his sheepfold. He leads them out through the gate. And he takes them out to where there is sustenance. Good pastures for their soul, for their, for their bodies, for, for what they need to nourish. He says, this is what happens. Now, we also know, Jesus is saying, we also know that some sheep, they wouldn't go because they would consider the voice of that shepherd not their own shepherd. It would be a strange voice. They would run away. Which we would think, wow, that's, actually, that's pretty fascinating. That's interesting. They would not. They would, they would say something to the effect of, okay. 
yep, that sounds about right. It's kind of what I do for a living. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like current event of current affairs of, of shepherding, you know. And yet Jesus wasn't uh, simply making a state of shepherding in the ancient Near East statement. He wasn't, he wasn't saying something that was too obvious. Clearly, he was alluding to something. And though he was simple, look at what John says. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Um, they didn't get it. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel very comfortable with the disciples. They heard Jesus. They heard the metaphor. It was simple. They didn't get it. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that's just a little bit smarter? That just knows a little bit more? And they're saying things. And the words connected together, they make sense, but uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, but we're really not. You ever been there? Except Jesus isn't saying something profound. He's saying something simple. If we could say it this way, what the meaning is, hidden in plain sight. They didn't get it. Why are you saying this, Jesus? Verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. Which in itself, a shepherd claiming to be a door, not too far out of reach. But this next statement makes this entire statement extremely controversial. Because Jesus ends up bringing a chilling word, an indictment to the setting. He says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Most scholars believe what Jesus was doing here, he was pointing out a group that John clearly characterizes as his antagonists. His, uh, his, uh, there was a clear dividing line that Jesus draws in the sand. And essentially, what most scholars believe is he was pointing towards the religious leaders of his day who were claiming to shepherd God's people, a group, a body made up of two different Pharisees and Sadducees. And it's almost as if he's pointing them out and he's calling them out in front of everybody. And he's saying, they, they are robbers and thieves. I am the door. They don't acknowledge me. They don't step through me. And they're out for their own interest. And he points something out that we know is absolutely true. He says, the sheep don't listen to them. And you know why they don't listen to them? Because they know it internally. Their motives are selfish. And it's almost as if Jesus, which he had a, a courageous way about him. He, he had a statement here he was making. And he would, he would not be the first and only time. It would not be the last time he would do it. But if you could see it this way, what he is saying is he's indicting the religious leaders of his day. And he's essentially saying they are more interested with cultivating their own power structure, with keeping their own self-interest and wealth, with keeping their position and status quo. That is their interest. Their interest is not your well-being. 
And Jesus isn't saying this about just anybody. He's saying this about the power brokers of his day. This word, this statement, connected with several others, is part of a downward spiral in Jesus' ministry between him and the religious leaders that leads, if you could hear it this way, this indictment leads to the start of severe retribution. He essentially calls them out. He says, I am the door. They don't acknowledge me. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He will find sustenance for his soul. Saved, he will be secured. He will no longer be at risk. This person will no longer be at risk. They will be safe and secure if they enter by me. And they will go in and out. They will have freedom. And they will have, they will have sustenance for themselves, find pasture. The thief, the thief that I just pointed out, Jesus would say, yeah, they only come to steal and kill and destroy. They only have uh, themselves at interest. They don't actually care truly about you. But I, I came that they may have life. And I came that they may have it abundantly. That is what he says. Jesus essentially promises that he says, I am the door. If you could hear it this way, I am the door that leads to life. You walk through me, you will have life in abundance. It will never be shortage. You won't experience that. It will be abundant, like a feast. A statement with great promise and also quite an indictment. A statement, by the way, that Jesus made that would, um, if, we, if we understand it this way, Jesus often used physical realities in our world to point out spiritual truths. He would use... Images and things that we could see and touch to point out things perhaps we could not see so easily. And he would try to illuminate some things about that. And so what this looks like in our own lives, whether we are exploring what it looks like to follow him or we have already been following him for some time, we've had some previous experience or none at all, wherever we may land on the spectrum, the implications of what he says are profound and they're worth examining. And so in the moments we have left, I'd like to suggest that what Jesus is actually claiming to be is significant because what he said, firstly, is that Jesus came to give us entry to the abundant life. That is what Jesus said he came to do. He came to give us entry to the abundant life. Um, it's a life that's characterized by, if we can think of it this way, wholeness, uh, consistency, internal strength. That, that's how we would think of it. It's a uh, it's the way Jesus is describing it is he's saying, I am the door that leads to life. But in reality, we know this throughout the entire New Testament, that what happens is when he says, listen, you walk through me, you experience life. But what actually happens is we embrace him. We trust ourselves in him. And what happens is the door of our own soul opens up to him entering us. His very spirit is now accessible to us. And he longs to make his home inside of us. And that is the greener pasture that leads to abundance of life. Uh, 
In a different account, Jesus was speaking to a woman by the side of a well at high noon, the hottest part, the most part you don't want to avoid. And he has this conversation with her and he says to her, listen, if you drink what I am offering, not only will you never thirst, it will become a fountain inside of you erupting to eternal life. That is what he said. To say God's very own presence inside of us Yes, that is abundant life. So what does that look like? What, how, how, how does this actually affect us in day-to-day lives? I, I'd like, I asked them to kind of create a little bit of a diagram, kind of showing us um, what this may look like in our own world. And I, I firstly want to suggest it means that he starts to address our thought life. He starts to address our thought life, and he starts to give us um, an idea of, if we can see it, listen, Our thought life is extremely important. Why? Because no one hears it louder than we do. And it is there that we talk to ourselves really more than anything else. It's there that we think things that frame how to interpret everything around us. Uh, Proverbs said, as a man thinks, so is he. Uh, The direction thoughts head is the direction a life will go in. It's almost as if what he's saying is thought life is like a rudder. And so God will start to, start to speak towards that. He will start to form. He will start to correct. He will start to heal. He will start to reframe how we think. And what does that mean? It means that he will start to call us to think things that are true, that are honorable, that are right, that are pure, that are admirable, lovely, that are excellent. He says, set your thoughts on that, is what Paul said. Set your thoughts on that which is worthy of praise and make sure that your thoughts, and then, and then there are other things. He says, he says some thoughts, they're not, they're not worth our time. So don't embrace them so quickly anymore. Reject them. That's what he's saying. He starts to speak wholeness and abundance. Why? Because a thought life that is healthy is a life that becomes healthy. And so he starts to speak to the very intimate part of who we are. Not only does he do that, he starts to speak to our emotions. He starts to speak into our emotions. You know, one of the easiest verses for me to memorize was John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. That's it. That's the verse. Jesus wept. You know what that tells us? And Jesus was emotional. That um, the picture of humanity perfected was a picture of a man comfortable with his emotions. Think about that. And God did not call us to be robots, machines in which certain codes are printed in and, and outcome certain actions. He called us to be fully alive. And part of being fully alive is recognizing we are emotional beings. And Jesus, he he was not just one who wept. He was one who was frustrated at life at times. He was one who experienced anger. He was one who experienced deep compassion. He was moved with sympathy and pity towards those who were hurting. Jesus experienced sorrow. In fact, the night before he went to the cross, you know what he told his disciples? He says, my soul is greatly troubled inside of me. 
pray. He said, this is Jesus. Experience in a full array of emotion. But you know what he also wasn't? He wasn't a man who was um, destroyed by his emotions. He wasn't a man whose emotions drove him to points of volatility and destruction, either self-inflicted or towards others. He was a man who showed us exactly what a healthy human being who is emotional looks like. Some of us, some of us, this is an area that God may want to start speaking into. There are some of us whose emotions, they, are, they have been cut. We are walking with wounds inside of us and they cause us such grave pain. And it causes pain that ends up, you know, we ever hear the saying, hurt people, hurt people. We are in ourselves in pain. And so we begin to become a bit paranoid of others that would dare even come near us. And if at any point we feel something could happen, defensiveness erupts and we start to launch into attack mode. Why? We are actually ourselves wounded. And it's there that his spirit would long to just heal parts of our past parts of our present. There are things that were violated, perhaps. The Lord would like to say, come, let's address this together. Let us not avoid it. Let us not pretend it's not there, because that is actually far too often what we decide to do, is it not? Some of us have come to the conclusion that in this life, it is unsafe to be emotional. And so some of us, we actually stuff things down because maybe we're afraid of it, or perhaps we think it would cause weakness. Perhaps we think we need to wear something, and many times that is actually proven true, but we also know that the more you push down emotions, it's like a cork, it's like a cork that just, you push it down, you push it down, it's only a matter of time before that thing just comes up flying and it erupts when we least plan on it, and emotions flood our everything. They end up hurting us and others. We know this. See, some of us, we may avoid our emotions. Others of us, it's that we perhaps, it's not that we avoid our emotions. It's that they have control of us. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, know, I know the experience of having emotions that take us to the heights and within moments can bring us down to the depths. Have you ever been there? And the Lord would long to teach us how to become healthy in our emotional life, to show us how to process things out, to not deny that they're there, and yet not allow them to have complete control over us. This is his desire for us. This is what he longs to teach us to do, to learn how to be whole beings of the abundant life. He starts to teach us how to become resilient when we are knocked down. He is the one who births joy inside of us, strength inside of us, the ability to step back up. He causes our soul to have elasticity and an offense that may have just ruined our day before becomes an offense that we now step back into and we forgive. And he gives us that capacity to do that. He gives us the emotional fortitude to handle certain types of news without it destroying us. He gives us the capacity to walk through severe circumstances and yet not lose hope. How does he do that? He does it because he erupts inside of us life that is abundant. 
That's what he does. He doesn't just speak to our emotions. He speaks to our will. He, he speaks to the place where our motivations are birthed. And he says, listen, this, and this is where he is amazing because he is a complete gentleman. He never overrides our will. But once we invite him in, then he starts working with our desires. And he does something that is truly transformational. Why? Because he starts to what? He starts to give us the capacity to have godly desires good desires for what is true and what is good and what is right. And we start to have the capacity or the desire to grow and to become all that he calls us to be. He starts to birth inside of us the will to step into what he is inviting us to experience. Uh, I know many times in my own life, pastor and I have had long conversations. They've come to this place where he's suggested I do something. I clearly just, I don't want to. I just don't want to, pastor. And he says, okay, can you pray that God gives you the desire to want to? (laughs) Okay, I can do that. Do it. Pray that God gives you the desire to want his best. And miraculously, he will. Adds wholeness to us. He adds wholeness to us. And that, a life that is abundant, ends up touching every relationship around us. It ends up touching everything else around us. If we could hear it this way, a life that experiences abundance internally is a life that is able to give abundance externally. Um, We are only able to love well when we ourselves have been loved well. We can only learn how to show proper care to others when we allow ourselves to be cared for. And this is where we probably, many of us have it backwards that we are so willing to give to others. We are so willing to care for others. But the minute the tables are turned, it is, it, it, it's like a split second. We're not there anymore. We are shut off. We're closed off. No, not me. But Jesus' method is to give us first so that then we can become his hands and feet to others. We exercise patience towards others truly only when we discover how patient God has been with us. And it is there. To do it otherwise is to exhaust ourselves, truly. It's to feel like this is uh, a religion that is stale and robotic and not really filled with anything except rules and commandments, but to experience his touch inside of our soul, to step through the threshold of his door, then start erupting with generosity that is organic, kindness that is true and real, not not faked, love that is genuine, because it's inside of us. He is the door to abundant life. He is also the door. You know what else he's also the door for? He, He says he became, he came to become a filter for our soul. That's what he says. That I am the door. Anyone who comes any other way, Well, they're only out for themselves. That's what he said. 
It's a controversial statement, but essentially Jesus is saying not all guidance, not all opinions, not all counsel, not all advice is equal. A radical statement today. But Jesus is saying, listen, unless they acknowledge me, they step through me, you should be suspect. And now here's what he's not saying. He's not saying sequester yourself from everything else around you. And pay no attention to anything else. No, he's actually saying something that is quite freeing. He's saying, I am the filter. Funnel it all through the doorway. Funnel all of it through the doorway. What you ingest, what you allow into your life, what you allow to nourish you, may it be filtered through the doorway. And when it is, the toxins are removed and you will find nourishment for your soul. This is a profound truth, not meant to inhibit, but actually to give us far more access to many more greener pastures than we may realize. Because, you know, one of the things I, I love to do is I love to go out in the mountains. I love to backpack. It's especially being a city boy as I am, I love to get away and just be able to not have the city lights sometimes and be able to have the stars, the original city lights, original night lights, and, and to be able to kind of reflect and just, just be there. And one of the things you most need out in the wilderness is water. You need many other things, but water is an essential. And there are streams, there are springs, there are lakes. Now, this water is unprocessed. No one has touched it. It's from the ice melt, from the high Sierras, and it comes down, especially here in California. And we are able to experience it, and it's ice cold, it's frigid, it's, it's, it's great, it's clear, you can see it, it's, it looks so pure. And I have seen some people courageously, in my opinion, grab their cup or their glass and just dip it into the river and take a big old drink of it. And I think, I'm just waiting to see things blow up. <laughs> because we know. That, that water, as clean as it looks, it has bacteria. And we know that that bacteria activated inside somebody's digestive tract, oh, it's, it's not good. It's all bad. But if you have a filter, well, any stream, any lake, any river is now accessible. And we now can filter it. And we can now have pure, good, nourishing water. Do you see it? Jesus is saying, listen, filter this world. The things we ingest, the things we read, we listen to, we watch. Filter it through my teaching. Filter it through who I am. And you will remove the toxins that will cause your soul to go into sickness and receive good health, good nourishment. Do you see it? It's amazing what he's saying. He gives us a recipe for how to navigate the world we live in and still be in it. It's amazing if you really think about it. Thirdly, what he also says is that Jesus came to give us a community to belong to. He, he came to give us a community, a true community to belong to. Jesus is the door that invites us to real community. What makes it so different? Why is it different than everything else? Well, in the first century, the Roman Empire was flipped upside down, arguably, by one of these things. 
that for the first time in human history, a group of people gathered. And they gathered together, not because they were defined by their ethnicity, because they transcended ethnicities, nor their cultures, they transcended cultures, nor their socioeconomic status, they transcended that as well. They gathered together, not because they were connected by their education, nor their careers, nor their skills or their talents. None of those things defined them as a group. And for the first time in history, normal classes of division were broken down. And people from all walks of life, of all stratuses, of all places, gathered together. And it confounded the first century people who watched this because they gathered together, surrounded, entering by one distinction. They all said, essentially, I come through the door. Who is Jesus? I come through the door. Who is Jesus? At the threshold of Jesus' door, we are all equal. At the threshold of Jesus' door, we find ourselves in the midst of a place we can say is home. Because we no longer need to pretend. Why? We all needed to walk through his door. We all need his grace. None of us can ever really claim, not me, I'm the exception. Which means we no longer have to wear our armor together. We no longer have to pretend like we have it all together. Like everything is perfect. Actually, the expectation is we walk through this door because things are not perfect. We now find safety. We find ourselves in the community where we can be authentic and honest where life, messy, doesn't really trouble Jesus. And it shouldn't trouble us because we ourselves are also messy. We start to find that other people are right next to us, walking shoulder to shoulder with us. We move from a place of isolation and solitude to a place of belonging. And we not just find people who are walking to our right and to our left. We find in this community, in a community, that claims to have walked through the door of Jesus, we find that there are people who have been doing this a little bit longer, and so when we hit a fork in the road, or when we are a little bit confounded, it need not shake us. We can seek advice from those who have done this a little longer. And if we do this long enough, if we step through the door long enough and we stay committed to what he is saying to us, we will look back one day and we will be extremely humble to notice that there is somebody following us. The footprints we leave behind, they step into. Emulating us? Yeah. And that story is the reason why 2,000 years later, there is a group of people, not just here in this building, but throughout the city, throughout the state, throughout the country, throughout the entire world, saying, I have come to step through the door. It leads to abundant life. Generation after generation, that is the story we become a part of. May we embrace him as the most significant door in our lives. As we step through it, may the door of our soul open to him. May we experience abundance of life. May we recognize a filter for our own soul. May we find ourselves in the midst of a community where we belong.
May that be the case. May he be our door that leads to life abundant. Now, in a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and our closing song, which you may have noticed. It's a song, by the way, that we chose because um, I like it. <laughs> but it speaks to this idea, the theme of the fact that he is our protector. He is the one who guards us and protects us. He is the one who watches over us. He's the one who filters for us. He's the one who unites us. They chose to say it as a wall, a little different than a door. But the idea is the same. He's a door that protects, that leads to life, that gives us a place to belong. May this be the case. I'm gonna go ahead and pray, ask for his blessing. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your willingness to open up a door we could never open on our own. To give us access to life we so desperately crave and you so willingly offer. I pray you give us that life. I pray you do your amazing work inside of us. I pray you help us find our place in your people. Help us walk through your door, Lord. May you be the door of our life. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.